Sheikh, once again, a great delight to have you here with us. As you recall, a few weeks back, we had a wonderful session and a discourse on Tasawuf, and Radio Ansar is delighted once again to welcome you. Sheikh, perhaps it would be better if we set the background to current events by first relating to historic events in the last 400 years, largely controlled and directed by European invaders and colonial powers. And Muslims themselves have somewhat erroneously been led to believe and to practice both individually and collectively various versions of Islam, compartmentalizing themselves into nations such as Iraq, Iran, Pakistan, Syria, Tunisia, and so on. And of course, into various madhabs, spiritual orders, mulukiyas, traditionists, some of them call themselves jihadists, some of them ref- refer to themselves as reformists, some as modernists, some as Western-style secularists. And yet none of these differences or groups existed in the time of our Nabi Muhammad The question that begs for an answer is, where are the real Muslims? Is not the primary cause that we fail to see the connectivity between Islam being the word, Iman being the work, and Ihsan being one's inner state. After all, did not Nabi Muhammad say, Sharia is my word, Tariqa is my, w- my work, and Hakika is my inner state. So what is then the relationship between these three beacons that I've just pointed out? And how is it that we lost the connectivity between them and hence our power? Hamza Abu Bakr, you have brought in something like seven or eight issues which all connect with each other. But each one of them is a major issue which needs to be addressed. I will only pick about three of them to see how we can then progress from there on. One is that at the time of early Islam, the number of people were very few, and they almost belonged to the same geographical part of the world and their language was the same and soon after the departure of the Prophet وسلم, because there were slightly different dialects we had uh, Khalifa Uthman عن, um, establishing if you like the present day Quran that we have as the main if you like standard version so it is natural that when there are more people in different geographies, different ways and means of earning their living, there will be differences in habits. We need to distinguish, the second point I'd like to highlight, distinguish between cultural habits and transformation or the deen, if you like. Cultures will vary. Our culture here today in Durban is not the same as what it was 50 years ago. Certainly very different from what it was 100 years ago, and so on and so on. And this is one place we are taking. So cultures change, habits change, ways and means of people's interaction with each other change by spreading out. Again, the demography, population, 
interaction, trade with the outsiders, raids and wars. So all of these factors will bring about differences in people's habits and behavior. The deen essentially comprises of the following components. One of them is, for example, the basic, if you like, boundaries of Sharia. Things that you cannot do, things you can do, things you are in between, and so on and so forth. So basics of Sharia. This cannot change in a sense. And you find Muslims from Tibet to the Western Saharas of Africa accept most of these with minor modification. Again, because of distances, madhabs began to arise. A hundred odd years after, uh, after the departure of the Prophet, every village had its own madhab, more or less. And there were madhabs that were far greater than the subsequent 200 years later madhabs that became, if you like, dominant. Madhab is to go, to follow. To. So a pious alim in a remote village somewhere, and most of them were remote, would take days to travel by donkey. He had learned at the foot of his teacher by heart. He knew what sufficient, appropriate uh, number of traditions, and of course he knew his Quran by heart. He put them together and he began to guide his community. So it's not surprising that we have variations and differences over hundreds and hundreds of years. Add to that a major factor that the Sharia, which we accept as more or less a foundation, and the Tariqah, which means the practices and the day-to-days, if you like, behavior, which is based on teaching from one person to another, they lead to Haqiqah, which is enlightenment. With, without enlightenment, you will have the usual uh, general tendency of being too high-handed. In other words, become also a bit uh, fixed in, in certain att- uh, uh, ways of uh, conduct. So if Sharia doesn't lead to haqiqa, then it is half, if you like, balanced. So the divisions, instead of being a blessing, is looked upon as a some kind of exactly, curse. Exactly, exactly. And the because of the absence of haqiqah. Haqiqah meaning that you, it is maqam al-ihsan, that you don't see Allah, but you know Allah sees you, so you are totally accountable. Because you know even a thought that you may have will affect you, will, uh, will enter into your intention and in your actions, maybe subliminally. So you are cautious in that Allah knows. So you will, you will not say on one hand and on the other hand and this and that. In other words, you are fully transparent. So with the missing part in our deen to a great extent is that element of seen and the unseen being together. Alam al-ghaybi wa shahada which brings about haqiqah, which brings about transformation. If there are enough transformed people, awakened people, enlightened people in villages and town, we will not have any differences except that those differences are nice and enjoyable, like flowers. And treated with courtesy and and respect. Absolutely. There is humanity. Yes. But you see, humanity is the foundation of divinity. So we need to have both. 
we need to adhere as children as we grow up. What are the boundaries, behavior, courtesies, adab, sharia. But if that does not lead to emancipation and inner liberation, then it's incomplete. Then people are not happy. This means that for our own progress and improvement, we should be honest enough to acknowledge these divisions and at the same time look upon them as blessings rather than divisions and destructive elements. But as you more or less alluded to, unless I am illumined, unless I am thrilled by divine presence, that won't happen. That uh, aspect of tolerance, acceptance, and so on will not be there. I will find it as a threat, and I will sink always to the level of survival and defense and, def- and, and tribalism. So. so the connectivity between Islam, Iman, and Ihsan essentially is without any compartmentalized firewalls. So it's a natural progress. Integrated progress. Absolutely. It's a natural progress. Uh, Islam is the foundation. I'm, at all times, we are in submission. We submit to the fact that we occasionally are weak and unable or many things we don't know. We submit to it. So this is my Islam, that I do what I can with my limitations, and there is so much that I can't control. So I submit to the, to the fact that I am inadequate. I submit to the fact that I am struggling in this world, that I'm a stranger in this world, that I'm in exile in this world. No matter how much wealth, power, knowledge I have, it still is not enough. So this is my submission to it. Iman is that I have faith and trust in that all will be well. That according to my intention, according to my actions, I will experience the perfection of cause and effect meeting and that everything is according to perfect patterns. It's not chaos. Even with chaos, there is a certain element of order. It has its own laws. And then I know Allah's ways are the all perfect. Therefore, my faith or iman becomes amn, becomes secure. I'm secure in the knowledge that Allah is there. Allah has made it happen, enabled us to make these mistakes, to suffer, so that لَعَلَّهُمْ يَرْجَعُونَ So that we return. The effect of this is that Islam is underpinned by iman. Iman, in turn, is underpinned by ihsan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Without ihsan, there is no true iman. Without iman, there is no true Islam. Yes, it is absolutely as you say, and I like to elaborate on that. The entire universe has stemmed and is based and is founded upon tawheed originated from the one, sustained by the one, returns to the one. So it's all based on Tawheed. And those of us who taste Ihsan, which means that I'm totally aware that Allah knows, Allah sees, and therefore whatever I am doing, if you like, is is exposed to that sacredness. Then I am thrilled by a state of well-beingness because of Tawheed. And the Quran is entirely, this is a, a most amazing disclosure of Tawheed. And Allah reminds us that in Allah, Allah forgives everything. But when it comes to shirk, in Allah, 
Because shirk, seeing other than Allah, that's mm-hmm. why the Prophet's teaching is don't blame people. People don't expect from people, expect from your Creator. And don't attack people, attack your ignorance, and so on and so on. So your relationship is total and utter with Allah Azawajal, without denying people, without denying wasata, without denying intermediate. But you're all the time looking for the one to give you answers regarding the confusions of twos. Then you have this amazing ayah, which again brings us to have a big question about a person calling himself Muhsin. Unless, of course, he's named by his parents mm-hmm. <laughs> as a child. He says, وَمَا يُؤْمِنُ أَكْثَرُهُمْ إِلَّا وَهُمْ مُشْرِكُونَ إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَغْفِرَ أَنْ يُشْرَكَ بِهِ It says, and most of the moments fall into shirk, seeing two. Mm-hmm. Shirk is seeing, not seeing the one. That's what it is. That's why the translation is very difficult. So partners and all, very difficult. Shirk is not seeing the one. Ashraka, sharaka, put it into it. If you, if you see the one, then Allah has done it. Because of my ignorance, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and I was afflicted. Allah has enabled me to be in that situation due to my own inadequacies so that I begin to question my motive. Why was I there? What was my subtle motive? What was my obvious motive so that I learn next time I am totally protected by Bismillah and if I am truly outwardly inwardly in my heart and in my limbs in Bismillah then who am I blaming then why why do I complain in this uh, state of uh, connectivity and we see how Ihsan is the key how do we get to that stage in its relationship to the heart. Hafiz Abu Bakr, I have in my life been exposed to quite a number of different cultures, the West, East, North, South, and so on. And we all fall into this pitfall of how do I get closer to God? How do I get closer to Asa? There are some references that one the closest Sahabas to the Prophet mm-hmm. whom he loved genuinely, they asked him, why do you favor this particular, for example, being? In the, in the history, there are known, at least two or three well-known close people. And the answers often was that because he always is concerned about what to avoid, not what to get. Mm-hmm. In other words, the whole business is based on la ilaha. You and I and he and she and everyone, if we care for that which is not, that which is, is already, illallah. So my business is to see what causes me greater distraction, deviation, uh, being further from the path of perfection, inner tranquility, contentment readiness to face whatever. So my duty is not what gets me closer. Allah has no distance. There is nothing unless Allah is before it, after it, within it. But it is my mind and my habits that I need to watch. So it is what is it I should stop doing? But we fall into the habit of thinking in the worldly sense 
the more is the better. So I say, what can I get? And that is why we, when we come to the religious and spiritual side, we continue our earthly habit of how can I get more? I'm going to build more mosques or do this. In his, on his face value, it is all right to do goodness. But we, al-hakum al-takathur comes into it. We think more in, in a spiritual sense, in my personal, if you like, enlightenment sense, less is more. That is why we have abstention during the month of Ramadan. The difficulties and the jihad during Hajj and all of the other things. So in a spiritual sense, in a, in a transformative sense, less is more. Whereas in a dunya sense, more is more. <laughs> so when I come to my salat, I must be willing to completely give up and disappear, to declare that I have nothing independent of the one and only giver, Allahu Akbar, lifting my, my hands. So we all make this mistake of what is going to make me closer to Ihsan? Turning away from my own rubbish, turning away from my own mental jungle. In other words, admit that all of it has emanated from the one and it is according to Allah's patterns and designs that all of the universe is governed. So I admit my inadequacy. And then Ihsan is already there. So it's a process of purification. Illumination of that which is not, that which is, is. It's again like happiness. You can't say I'm going to get happiness. Happiness will come naturally if I avoid Going to its misery. opposite. Yes, exactly. Avoid misery. Happiness is that. What is misery? Is expectations, desires, fears, uh, all uncertainties, all of these things which we shun. Give that up. Happiness will come. Happiness is a field of energy. It's already there. But I am barred from it because of all of these, if you like, veils, which as I have illuminated, descri described some of them, my fear or love of reputation and insecurity, uh, doubts, uh, suspicion, all of these stop me from being happy now. Otherwise, I can be very happy right now. You know, if, if I empty out, as you said, purification, it's already there. If I'm willing to leave this world, then everything in it appears in its own correct way without the emotional overtone. We add all of these things, it becomes complicated. There are constant references in the Qur'an about the opposites, the night and the day, the heat and the cold. Follow the night if you want the day. Follow the day if you want the night. And this is one of the secrets which we are missing. Well, we, again, through the deen, we know that the root of anything lies in its opposite. If you want to be loved by the people, humble yourself and be there to serve them, and they will love you. But if you want to be elevated, then uh, nature itself will uh, bring us down. It is Allah's mercy. So we have wonderful teachings in this, in this respect that one of the great beings who was at his time highly, highly admired and loved by the people, one of the descendants of the Prophet, and his prayers in this respect is famous. He says, do not let the people lift me and elevate me and exalt me unless you make me see my own fault within myself so as at my heart I am humbled so that they are balanced. 
Otherwise, it goes in the head, and we become these so-called personalities. Quite. <laughs> There's a very interesting hadith of uh, Nabi Muhammad wasalam, which reads, "Run after the world, and the world will run away from you. Run away from the world, and the world will run after you." See, again, we have so many uh, great teachings that if they are not lived and practiced, they become, they become if you like, uh, just traditions that are recited and preachings that are uh, shouted and not internalized. It's exactly as you say. And remembrance of Akhirah. Our entire deen is based upon alam al-ghayb, the, uh, the, what comes after death. If I remember death regularly, then every day becomes precious, every moment becomes important, and, and so on. And then there will be a natural, if you like, freedom in one's uh, thoughts and one's ability to be creative in one's thought. So it, is a, it becomes a habit. But for that, we need the right companions. We need the right families, friends, community. And if we are dispersed as we are now in the world as, as it is, it's going to be very difficult. We have more and more outer ease nowadays and more and more inner difficulty. They two again complement. The outer and the inner relate. If I have more of the, of the dunya, I will have less of the akhir. If I have more, you know, so this is because there is only a certain amount of energy I have or there is in the day. And we need to balance it. We need to be ready to leave any time. In the meantime, do not deny the joy and the goodness in this world because this can lead me to the Jannah. So if I don't already live here in this world on the edge of Jannah, then, you know, it will be another process before I, uh, the accounts and everything else are rendered after death. Sheikh, in your well-known book, Inner Meanings of Worship in Islam, you mentioned in great detail about responsibilities and the three responsibilities. First, responsibility to Sharia, and the second is responsible responsibility to Iman, to Tariqah, and thirdly, responsibility to Hakikah. Could you elaborate on these three? You see, we can only hold each other accountable on Sharia. You, you know, a friend or someone or can say, look here, you have not been just in dealing with so-and-so person. Or your salah doesn't seem to be quite, you know, the way that the Prophet sallam, performed it. There mm-hmm. are certain minor variations, but uh, we know these were the possibilities. And we're very fortunate also as Muslims that we know so much of how the Prophet lived and, and how the others followed him. So we are immensely fortunate in that our differences are essentially minute, minor. But of course, as human beings, if we want to accuse others, you will find the smallest little excuse Mm -hmm. to accuse them. So we can only hold each other accountable on Sharia. Where did you go? How did you do? What did you you take? What did you give? On mu'amalat, on transaction. Half of our deen, more or less, is based on that. What sort of uh, relationships are allowed and not, and when you want to terminate a relationship, and you know to have also the witnesses and to be accountable. So, so as adil, which is balance, which is mizan, which is another name of the Quran, is established. This is the foundation. Then after that, the extent of my iman, the extent that I know Allah is the doer, the extent that I know wala illahu, 
then this is my, if you like, inner state which can increase and increase, leading me ultimately to the total immensity of the moment that you cannot think, you cannot do unless it is the most appropriate. And at that stage then, you have neither any past nor any concern about the future. You are. And then you are, if you like, as near as possible to the completion of the journey, near to what we call the insan al-kamil. Insan kamil. Yes, that <coughs> you've done what you are living the moment as though it is forever. That means you have transcended the limitation of the mind. Adam descended, in a sense, in order to be caught in the space and time. And Adam, or the children of Adam, can ascend back by inner state of blowing up this instant or the second into timelessness. So you are not concerned anymore about past, future. You are living right now fully, dispensing your duty, your responsibility, and your reward will be as good. So there are actually two journeys. There is the external journey to the Sharia, and there is the inward journey to the Hakika. And uh, I recall a hadith, Nabi Muhammad had said that if one starts with the external journey to the Sharia, then he must end up in the Hakika. And if you start the inward journey from the Hakika, then you must end up in the Sharia. Correct. Absolutely. And if one starts with the Sharia and does not end up in the Hakika, we end up as Munafiq. And if we start with the Hakika, inward journey, and do not end up with the Sharia, one becomes degenerate. Correct. There have been many, many, uh, if you like, uh, comments on this issue, as you had just uh, described. We have to be balanced. Ummatan wasata means that. My body is an aspect of Sharia. It has its own laws. I can't deny it. You know, if your intake is inadequate, you will pay a price for it health-wise. So we have to be outwardly in balance, inwardly also in the right balance. And the two go together. Sheikh, we will take a break here. 